Morning. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you again. Uh, we are going to continue our look through uh, Zechariah. Uh, let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll get going. We have a lot to, lot to go over. Uh, but Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as we have prayed uh, so often during this class. We thank you for your prophets, and we thank you that by your spirit you spoke through them and that you committed their words to writing so that we could benefit from them as well. And as we study Zechariah, as we study these uh, nighttime visions that are at times difficult for us to understand, uh, I pray that you would illuminate the text to us, that you would give us understanding, that we would know more about you, uh, the Messiah, the Davidic King, our High Priest, uh, our Great Prophet, uh, who reveals uh, your will to us. And so we pray to you, Lord Jesus, we thank you for all you've done, and pray in your name. Amen. Well, before we jump into it, uh, and we'll look at the at the uh, stuff we have on the board, um, we will get there. But if you would first turn in your Bibles, if you have a copy of God's Word, or on your phone, or wherever it might be, to Jeremiah, and we're going to begin our class this morning by reading a section of Jeremiah, or actually two sections of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23 and uh, Jeremiah chapter 33. So let me read Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, the first eight verses. Which says, Woe to the shepherds, who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, And they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, As the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But, as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country, and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. So based on what we have talked about previously, based on some of your own reading in Zechariah, what are some themes from what we just read that jump out at you? Judgment? All right, that's a good one. I'm going to make a list here. So this is 23, 28, and 33. 
All right, what other, what other themes or phrases or words, not just in the book of the 12, but um, other, other things maybe all throughout Scripture? Bringing back. Bringing bring bring back. back. Yeah, like a return or a restoration. Okay. The Davidic king. Yeah. And what's his name? Here at the branch. Branch, yeah. And then, yep. Yahweh. Righteousness. I heard someone say, uh, someone said something. Shepherds. Shepherds, thank you. Yeah. I was like, that's right. And then I immediately forgot uh, what you said. But okay. Shepherds. Some shepherds are scattered. Some shepherds are raised up. And peace and rest. And that may be part of the restoration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could put it up here. Peace and rest. Anything else? It's also kind of reference to like the day of the Lord. So the old days are coming. Mm-hmm. Day of Yahweh. Uh-huh. These are great. Anything else? God's sovereignty. Yeah. What about in verse 3, at the end of verse 3? Take purple, multiply. Yeah, that's a... Good biblical phrase, right? So it's a. This new kingdom, this restoration, will bring us back to the original mandate in the garden, Genesis 1 28, be fruitful, multiply. Particular passage keeps saying, "Declares the Lord, mm-hmm. says the Lord." So it's the Lord's doing, not something we're making up. Yeah, yeah, it kind of goes with the sovereignty of God. This is what God's doing. Restoration is is uh, from the north. I think someone said that already. We've already seen the north show up in some of these visions. Okay, let's jump over to Jeremiah thirty-three, and we'll keep adding to this list. Jeremiah 33, beginning in verse 14. Uh, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, uh, The Lord is Our Righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the, and the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. Um, and let's just stop there. He goes on to, to say, 
if you can break the day and night cycle, the covenant that I made with the, the sun and the moon, if you're able to do that, then maybe you could break my covenant that I've made with David and then with a little Levitical priest. But as it is, uh, God is sovereign, and this is this will be what uh, will be. Uh, he will have this this uh, Davidic king and this Levitical priesthood will be his uh, forever, before him forever. Uh, so anyway, what what um, themes? I already mentioned a couple, but what what themes jump out from this section? Perpetual kingship and perpetual priesthood. Yes. So there's the. Bit of covenant and this Levitical covenant. So there, we have these two. We have uh, the the line of David and the line of, of Levi, the the Levites, the um, that specific tribe um, that was the Lord's. Mm-hmm. Yep, so the righteous branch shows up again. Um, that language of the Davidic king. And we see that this is going to happen in, uh, in that day and in those, those times. So we have that similar kind of language. But the, the, those are the big ones. This, this, um, we have these, these two offices, these, these two groups. The, the, the Davidic kingdom, the Davidic king, and then this Levitical priesthood. Both of these are going to be perpetual. Both of these are going to to remain forever. Okay, well, with that in mind, and we know that this was, uh, this language of Jeremiah was the language of the people. Uh, Jeremiah and his his words were the words that this group of people that had been restored from exile, uh, this was this was in their vocabulary, this was this was their, their culture and the milieu of the land. They were, they were looking for these things and that helps us understand then, as we move back now to Zechariah, uh, helps us, gives us some insight into some of these visions uh, that we've already looked at. So let's turn back there now to Zechariah. And my goal for today, and, and I should, should have also mentioned, um, we're going to do another week. So we have, we have one more week again. And all, everyone uh, greatly rejoiced and, <laughs> and praised God uh, that we have more time. Uh, so my, my hope for today, we're going to continue. I think it's beneficial. Uh, we've been looking mostly overviews of the prophets, but we've really dug into Zechariah, and I think that's been fruitful. So we want to keep doing that, keep reading portions of it, um, because so much of what we've seen uh, already in the Book of the Twelve is coming to fruition in, in Zechariah and in his visions. So uh, for today, um, we're just going to pick up where we left off, keep going as much as we can. Um, I think we'd be able to get through chapter 8 at least and maybe get into um, some of the second half of Zechariah, which is chapters 9 through 14. And then next week, we'll finish whatever we didn't finish in Zechariah, get into Malachi, and then we'll have one more week after that where we'll tie everything up together. So that's the goal. So if you uh, weren't here last week, um, we looked at the, the first four. There's, there's eight of these nighttime visions, these visions that Zechariah has as he's 
laying in bed, wishing he could fall asleep, but he can. He keeps having all these crazy visions. He had too much coffee the night before. Who knows what, what happened, but he, he's not able to fall asleep. And he has these, frankly, these insane, uh, hard-to-understand visions. And part of that is it's, it's okay you know, that they are hard-to-understand. Uh, we're not going to solve every riddle or every mystery, uh, but we do want to uh, get to the, the meaning of, of them or, or the, the, the larger purpose behind them. And what we're going to see as we go forward today is how these visions connect to one another uh, in a really uh, interesting, unique way. Um, and so we, we looked at these, these four visions. The first one, these four horsemen that patrol the earth, and they, they declare that the earth is at rest. And that's a, that's a negative thing. God's people are resting from the work that they should be doing and rebuilding the temple. And God's enemies are at rest because they are thinking high and mighty of themselves, that they've, they've conquered God's people. And so they're resting from their work. And then we see that there's these, these four horns and these four craftsmen, the four horns representing the nations that exiled Israel, and these four craftsmen that represent judgment against those nations, being Assyria and Babylon. And then we have this, this uh, third vision of, of Jerusalem being measured by a plumb line and, and receiving the measurements. And, and, uh, and we have a picture of what this, this uh, future uh, new Jerusalem might look like. And then we ended with the fourth one. We're going to pick up here. There's so much to say. And what we'll see as we look at this fourth one and then we move to the fifth vision is that they connect together and they point forward to this, um, this Messiah figure. But look back with me in Zechariah chapter 3. And we have this, this picture of Joshua, who again was the high priest at the time. Uh, so this is the historical um, post-exilic period. There after, after the exile, the remnants returned uh, and Joshua is serving as high priest. And he, along with Zerubbabel, who is serving as the appointed governor over that region, are two of the main figures uh, during this time period. And then we also have Haggai, that we looked at previously, prophet, and now Zechariah, who are the two main prophets uh, serving the people during that time. So Joshua is the, is the high priest, and, and we have this vision of him standing and, uh, and he's being accused by the accuser, by Satan. And the Lord rebukes Satan. And he says, is it not, uh, um, is not this a brand pl- uh, plucked from the fire? And uh, referring to uh, the people, God's people. Um, and we, we talked about that briefly last time, but it's, so, it's such an important um, message for us, pastoral message for us, is uh, Satan... Uh, the devil, uh, the world, and our flesh, they all accuse us of things that are partly true, uh, that we are sinners, uh, that we, we are uh, right, uh, the right recipients of God's judgment. Uh, but what the Lord is saying here is he's rebuking Satan and saying, have I not plucked this brand out of the fire? As in, have they not already suffered exile? Have their sins not already been judged and atoned for? And now I'm holding them in my hand. Uh, and in their mind, and I will not let them go. And that's, a, that's always an important reminder for us uh, that uh, if we're in Christ Jesus, uh, our sins have been forgiven. 
Uh, we don't listen to the words of the accuser who says, who are you? Or, and we don't even have the words that the accuser says, but we, we presume he's, he's accusing them of, of, of their sin and of, of the necessity of the exile. And, and we can say, well, yes, <laughs> my sins did deserve uh, that penalty, but that, that payment has been paid in full by the blood of Christ. And we have a depiction of this through the, the, clo- uh, the, the clothes that Joshua receives. So we're told that he's clothed with these filthy garments. That's a polite way of saying, saying he was clothed with uh, garments covered in, in human excrement and other filth. Uh, absolute, the most disgusting kind of clothes that you could possibly be wearing. Couldn't get any worse. And we're told that those are removed from him. And uh, it says that, uh, I have taken your iniquity away, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Um, and so let me uh, pick up there actually in verse 6 and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua thus says the Lord of hosts if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here hear now O Joshua the high priest you and your friends who sit before you for they are men who are assigned behold I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, or seven facets, I will engrave its its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. We talked about last time just all the callbacks, all the, the, the words and phrases that are being picked up here. Uh, uh, we mentioned that, I think, in the first class, that concept of intertextuality, this, uh, which is just the, the word that describes this phenomenon of, of Scripture quoting and referencing other Scripture and pulling themes and motifs from previous Scripture and putting them here. And that's what Zechariah is doing. Um, so we see that... Uh, this sign, this vision that he's received is a sign that points to what? It's pointing to this, this servant who's called the branch. And so uh, we, we've seen that already. What's interesting, and we're going to keep thinking on this, is the branch is usually associated with the Davidic king uh, coming from the line of David. But this symbol is being associated here with uh, the high priest. So just think, keep that in your mind as we go along. We have this vision of this, this stone with seven eyes or, or seven facets, more likely. So it's a, it's a, a gemstone that has seven, seven facets to it, seven sides. And it has an inscription on it. We're not told what the inscription says, um, but I think it's very similar to the stone that uh, the priestly... or similar to what the priestly garments would have. Uh, Aaron had an inscription of the, of the people that he would wear on his turban. Uh, and uh, so this is a similar kind of thing, and, uh, I believe. Um, and it's possible, even the inscription, uh, could it say what's said of the branch back in Jeremiah, the Lord is our righteousness. Wonder. And then we're told that, uh, it'll, uh, that the Lord will remove iniquity in this land on a single day. 
referring to that act of, of atonement on the cross. And then we also see uh, in that day, in this restored kingdom, uh, everyone will come and invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. And that uh, was a reference back to the kingdom of Solomon. Um, and and uh, if you remember, so that that is uh, um, Micah four four. We won't look there, but just for reference, and First uh, Kings uh, uh, four twenty five. So we have all these different connections being pulled into this one vision of this this restoration that. Uh, everyone will sit under their vine and under their fig tree, meaning there will be a surplus and bounty and peace and rest. Uh, they won't be fearful of any enemy anymore. They'll be able to sit in peace and dwell in safety. So any, any questions about that vision before we move on to the next one? If you have an easy question, feel free to ask it. If you have a difficult question... Um, uh, we just fortunately don't have time. No, uh, no whatever. Uh, any any thoughts or anything? Um, and as we move to the fifth one, the fifth vision, we'll we'll hit some more of these these themes. But what I just noticed, Levi, this is just observation. Uh-huh. Is that it's almost like a kaleidoscope. Just all these themes kind of coming together in this this portrait. Yeah, it's kind of it's a little mysterious, but it's really not that mysterious, mm-hmm. right? There's some. It's kind of like you can see men as trees, right? That kind of thing, but you don't mm-hmm. see it clearly. It's like it's coming into focus, like when you're dialing it in, as it as you continue to teach and expound on it. It's, yeah. it's all these thread, these threads are kind of pointing to this particular person. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a king. It's going to be a priest. I think you know this is right. kind of a, kind of put exactly. it all together. Yeah, without the jig, it's like like a, like a puzzle without the box top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, right. You know, yeah, I mean, you've done that good. before, right? Yeah. It's like you put these things together. It's like, oh, that's what's going on. Yeah, oh, I see the picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I was just, he think back to uh, Jonah sitting under his vine. Yeah. How does, how does that fit? Yeah. I mean, he's at peace. Mm-hmm. And then I to get <laughs> Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, kind of play on that that motif. He's sitting under there, but he's resting. But he's he's not resting in the in the Lord's uh, goodness or His provision. He's still angry. He, he's he's upset that the Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And um, and and so the Lord uses that vine as a as, uh, as a means of, of showing him that he he raises that vine up for him, and then he he destroys it. He withers it. And uh, the Lord tells him, if, if, do you do well to be angry? If you, if you have compassion or if you have feelings toward this vine that you did nothing to, <laughs> to grow and didn't do anything to destroy, to wither, how much more can I have compassion on this nation that calls upon me and, and uh, seeks me and, uh, and uh, repents and turns to me? Um, so you know, I'm not sure how much uh, connection maybe that is to the, the this this promise of, of of peace with the vine and the fig tree, but I think there is something there. And and the point is, uh, when when we're resting in what God is doing, and we're when we're seeking God's will, not our, our own will, that's that's where we can find rest and peace. 
Yeah, Mitchell. I don't know whether this is an easy or hard question. You'll have to tell me. Okay. <laughs> Do you think uh, that this is a picture of double imputation or is intended to be? Hmm. Of removing the filthy garments and putting on the clean garments? Yeah. Well, I think that's certainly, yeah. I think it can be. A hard question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, yeah. I don't know. Putting no, no, too no. much into it. No, no. I think I think the the, the symbolism here is rich, and um, there is definitely uh, a lot there. And uh, we we see this this whole picture of of um, what Christ accomplishes. Who is the great high priest? Who is the king? Uh, who's given a name above every name? Um, you know, I think I think we can look at that and definitely see. Um, all the all the details of, of what he accomplished in, in the cross. Definitely. Thank you. Alright, let's look at the next vision. Um, fortunately they don't get any easier. So uh, let's uh, let's look at this one. Would someone um, would someone like to read chapter four? It's a lengthier chapter, but if someone like to read that for us. I will. Thanks. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amidst shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice, and you shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes, from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Awesome. Thank you. Now this is the, the point where we can so identify with Zechariah. Because we, we're, we're reading this, we're reading his words after him, and we're asking, what are these? And the answer we get is, we don't know. No, we don't know. We, we'd really like to know. Could you please, could you please help us out? Uh, so we have this, this another um, vision of, of this golden lampstand, and it's, it's here amongst, among these two uh, twin olive trees that are very near together, apparently, and the olive trees are there's a golden uh, a golden pipe or two golden pipes that connect these two olive trees, and uh, the olive trees are producing this this golden um, gold is pouring out of it. We presume oil for the for the oil lamps. Um, 
So we have these two olive trees that are producing oil, and uh, the oil never runs out. And we're told that these two are the two anointed ones, or the sons of new oil, um, as the footnote show, uh, tells us. But these, these two um, that are anointed with this oil are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. So, so what, what's going on here? Um, well, I kind of already, in my understanding, it's, and most commentators think that these two olive trees were referring to the two present leaders mm-hmm. of the community, of Joshua and Zerubbabel. And of course we have Zerubbabel mentioned earlier in that amazing, wonderful verse, not by might nor by power, but my but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so we, um, so we have these two leaders who, again, Zerubbabel, remember, is the descendant of, of who? So Zerubbabel is the descendant of David. So that's the Davidic line that's represented, represented in Zerubbabel. And then Joshua, Joshua we know, and we're told, he's uh, the high priest. So we have, the, we have the priest and we have the king, and, those, and in those two figures, we have the, the priestly line of David, we have the, the, the or sorry, the, the, the kingly line of David, the Davidic king, we have the priestly line of the tribe of Levi, the, the Levitical priesthoods. We have both of those represented that we, we saw uh, from Jeremiah as well. And from them uh, comes forth this oil, uh, like, like the story of Hanukkah, this oil that, that never runs out or that lasts much longer than it was supposed to. Um, but in this, this case, this, this fertility, uh, this oil, that uh, it, will, it will never cease. That's, the, that's kind of the picture we see here. From, from these, these two olive trees, uh, we have this, this unceasing oil, this unceasing blessing, this immense fertility from the Lord. And so what we see now, as we go through the next visions... Um, they're going to uh, go backward um, in this way, and they're going to form a pattern of that connect to one another. So the fourth and fifth visions have this um, referring to the Messiah, or having this kind of this vision of this this coming king, this coming priest, this Messiah figure. And what we'll see is there's there's a inclusio or a chiastic structure to these visions, where the the sixth vision will connect back to the third, and um, and then the seventh will connect back to the second, and then the eighth vision will connect back to the first. And then after the eighth vision, uh, we get this bonus uh, bonus uh, vision or a bonus saying of the Lord that that connects back to uh, to here. So. Um, so we gotta hurry, you guys. We got we gotta keep going. It's already after nine. That's impossible. That's that's not possible. Okay. Well, it's only nine oh five. So you've got quite some time. Okay. Probably nobody changed that clock here, right there. No, I just so you guys. I just don't know how to read time. Maybe. No, that is not. Yeah. Okay. We got plenty of time. We'll just delay the service. If we got all right. Anyway, 
And where's the pastor? Oh, Pastor Dennis, he's downstairs still. Levi's holding them all hostage. Okay. Um, so verse, sorry, chapter 5. Um, let's run through these. So the first, chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Will someone read that for us? Then I turned and raised my eyes and saw there a blind scroll. And he said to me, What do you see? So I answered, I see a blind scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. It shall remain in the midst of his house and consume it with its timber and stones. Excellent. So we have this next vision of a flying squirrel. Not to be confused with the flying squirrels down the street, <laughs> but a flying scroll. And we're told that... I'm, that's, that's all you guys get. That's the best. You've been hanging out too long. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we're told the length of it, 20 by 10 cubits, that's 30 feet by 15 feet roughly. I just had to look it up. So a billboard is, nor- standard highway billboard size is 48 by 14 feet, something like that. So just imagine this giant billboard flying through the town. It would be kind of startling. It would be a little frightening, I would think. And we're told that this, uh, that this scroll is written on both sides, which is a callback or an analogy or a reference to to what what was written on both sides of, of the tablet Moses yeah so the law so it's a reference to the law of God and we have two um, of the commandments referenced here of, of stealing and swearing falsely as representative examples and this the scroll is flying through the city and it's it's uh, it's removing all sin from the land in essence, in effect. And so this, this uh, language of covenant curse is, is uh, being brought to the fold here. And so this, this vision connects back to the one previous, or the third vision, where Jerusalem is measured. And now we see that uh, God's law, his covenant curses are going to be sent into the new Jerusalem. And so we have this picture of this is what the new Jerusalem is going to look like. It's going to be measured by God. God will provide the walls. It'll, it'll, uh, that vision, uh, we remember there's uh, walls of fire around the city because it's so multitudinous. Is that a word? There's so many people uh, that it, uh, the, the, the previous walls couldn't contain it, these walls that uh, Nehemiah and others are building. And, uh, and within this city that is so grand and so large, uh, there will be no covenant breaking anymore. There will be no sin, but God is going to, to fix all of that. All right, let's go to the next one then. Um, this is one of my favorites because it's just so wacky. Uh, so chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. Would someone read that for us? Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, What is it? He said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, 
the leaden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, Where are they taking the basket? He said to me, The land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. Awesome. <laughs> so we have this vision. Well, there's a basket. This is a bushel basket uh, There's for grain. And what's in the basket? Oh, there's a, there's a woman in the basket. Okay. And uh, this woman, her name is uh, Wickedness. And, and then, uh, if that wasn't strange enough, we have these other, two other women show up. And they have these big stork wings, and they pick up the basket, and they carry her uh, to the land of, of Shinar, which is the land of Babylon. Um, and so that's important. Um, so, and these two then, relating back to the, the four horns and the four craftsmen, both of these visions serve as a reflection on, on the exile, what the exile was, uh, and what the exile accomplished. The exile, God sent the wickedness out of Israel. And we're told in this, in this vision, uh, this is both what the exile, the physical exile was to accomplish, was to remove wickedness from the land, and what this, this future messianic kingdom, uh, the exile from, from sin, that sin and wickedness and iniquity is going to be removed from God's people forever. It has a place for it, this, this place of, of judgment in, in, uh, in Babylon. Uh, and so when we think of our, our, um, our uh, restoration, we think of our own salvation. We're brought out of our iniquity into a relationship with, with God, into right standing with him. Our old self has been left behind. And then that's the picture we see here. This, this wickedness has been, has been removed from the land. So there's, there's going to be no more wickedness in this, in this, uh, this coming restored kingdom and so we we live in that reality now we are both uh simultaneously sinners and justified that common reformation phrase uh but so we we live in that present reality but still in the the not quite yet we still have we still wrestle with sin but in this future uh, when the lord comes again uh, all wickedness will be removed and so this is what this is uh this reality is pointing us to okay yeah, this sounds kind of to me like the scapegoat in uh, the mm-hmm. Day of Atonement. This is their iniquity and all the land that's being sent out of the midst that's, of the people. Yeah, that's the great. Outer darkness. Yep. Yeah, that's excellent. And this also helps us um, uh, in our interpretation of these visions. So we always want to know, well, what, what is this? What does this refer to? What is this a symbol of? Um, and uh, notice that Zechariah asks the angel, what, what question does he ask? What is he concerned about knowing? In verse 10. Where are they taking the basket? Where, where are they taking the basket? 
And so that's our interpretive key. The, the question that we should be asking is not, well, who do these two women represent yeah. with these winged storks and, and all these kinds of things? It's curious. We want to know. We naturally want to learn that. But I think this is a helpful interpretive key. What are the questions that Zechariah is asking? What are the questions that the Spirit's asking through Zechariah to, to show us? And that's the importance of this vision is where is this wickedness going? Well, it's, it's going into exile, and it's never coming back. It has a place for it there. It's not going to ever be back here. Yeah, Matt? What does that word mean, uh, Shinar? Oh, that's uh, just a place name. Okay. So I mean, yeah. I, like, Because I think when, I guess like the Valley of Acor, you know, uh-huh. and Acor means like trouble, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that's where I'm, I mean, there's Gotcha. Saying, yeah, I'm not sure. Do you, do you guys know what the... I'd have to look it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not. It's a location in Babylon, and it represents Babylon. I think it actually goes all the way back to Babel. It, it is in Genesis, Genesis yeah, 10. 10 and I actually think Shinar is actually named. But mm-hmm. I appreciate you stressing that. I think when we were reading hermeneutically, just that's just the science of interpretation. When we were reading apocalyptic literature or prophetic literature like Zechariah or Revelation, I think sometimes we become too granular. Yeah. You think so, Levi? I mean, what do you think? I mean, you kind of gave a rule of thumb, but mm-hmm. kind of asking the right questions of the text is imperative rather mm-hmm. than trying to make all these correlations yeah. that really the, we're reading it almost through the, you know, anachronistically or somehow mm-hmm. trying to make connections yeah. that maybe the Holy Spirit does not want us to make or right. maybe they're not appropriate. You, you think that's yeah. a good rule no. of thumb? Yeah, I think so. Just, yeah, what, what, what's the argument that the book is trying to make? If we can understand that first, and just accept, kind of just accept their worldview that they're in, mm-hmm. uh, um, and and ask the questions that they're asking, or the directions that they're wanting to lead us. If we go th- there first, I think we'll be better served. And, and that, not to say that we don't want to try to figure out as much as we can, or or learn as much about God's word as we want to, but but always having a hermeneutic of humility as well, uh, knowing that we'll we'll never fully grasp everything. I think that's helpful. All right, let's look at the last one because I do want to make sure we get to the second half of chapter 6. But before we get there, we have one last vision that he sees. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Will someone read that for us? Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from heaven. Sorry, came out from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. First chariot had red horses, second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses. All of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven, after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country, the white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. And he, then he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the, sorry, toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Awesome. Well, the big thing, so we see right away... This very clearly connects back. We have four horsemen in this first vision. We have these four chariots um, driven by four horsemen um, in, the, in this last vision here. 
Um, the, the, the main thing, I think the main takeaway, is this, they talk about the north country. And if you flip back to um, chapter 1, verse 11, these four horsemen go about all the earth, and they, they find that the land is at rest. And when they make that um, assessment, when they make that report, we see that the angel of the Lord, he cries out, this is not a, this is not a good report, this is a bad report. Uh, and that's because we're awaiting this new kingdom to come, but what we find is that this new kingdom has not come because God's enemies are still uh, at rest among the land. Uh, they are still reigning and they are still in control. And so this last vision... These four chariots now are sent out, and they go in each different direction, north, south, east, and west. And what their report is, is now the Lord is at rest, and where is he at rest? He's at rest in the north. And this this north is is, um, uh, used symbolically to refer to, this is where the great enemies of God uh, will be gathered. Um, Exile, Exile, Babylon was in the east, but they took a northern route to, to reach them, to bring about their judgment and their attack. Then also in Ezekiel, we have this language of, the, of this enemy in the north of Gog uh, from Magog, uh, this northern enemy. And so this is the, this is the symbolic, typical enemy of, of God's people, picked it in this, this last final battle in this day of the Lord. And so when, God's, when God is at rest in the north, what that means is that God has defeated all of his enemies. There is no enemy left, uh, and now he is at rest. And that is the kingdom that has, has been brought about um, because God has defeated his, his enemies. So the, the nations are not at rest anymore. God is at rest because he's, he's defeated them all. Any other thoughts? So we have those eight visions, and then we get this this bonus vision. Uh, we're not told that this is um, specifically when he was resting at night, but we're told in verse nine that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah again. Um, and let me read this for us. So, verse nine: the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Take from the exiles, held die to and uh, Jediah, uh, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord, as, re- as a reminder to uh, Helam, uh, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. 
Uh, and those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So we have this, this final vision of this, this messianic priest king in this section uh, from, um, what is it, 9 through uh, 15. of this this priest king. So before we get into all the weeds of this, just just notice the the starkness of this. Um, They're going going to go make a crown. Who are they going to crown? Priests. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. We we wouldn't expect that. We would expect what, obviously? We'd expect uh, someone from the line of David or something, something like that would be crowned king, uh, that these are, these are different offices occupied by different people. Uh, but we're going to continue exploring this theme of this priest and this king. So look at how uh, it's spoken of Joshua, who is the high priest. It says, thus says Lord of hosts, after, jo- after Joshua is crowned, it says, behold the man. I'm going to stop right there. Flip over to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 5. Jesus is about to be delivered to be crucified. What does Pilate say of him? Hold the man. love that connection. I don't think John was writing that gospel haphazardly. I think he knew what he was doing. Behold the man whose name is what? The branch. And what um, the branch, he's going to branch up from his place and what, what is he going to do? He's going to build a temple. What if what if God's people been been encouraged and exhorted to do since they returned from exile? They're called to build the temple. Well, who was who was going to build the original temple? Who who wanted to build that temple, but was told no? Yeah, David David was going to build the temple, and God said, "No, your son's going to build the temple." And both David and Solomon thought that Solomon was going to build the temple. And Solomon did build the temple, but that temple was destroyed. And that's, that's the existential problem that God's people have faced, that, that we're facing this time, is who is the son of David? Who, who is this one who's going to come and build the temple? And so we're told that this, this priest figure, whose name is going to be the branch, who's crowned king, uh, he's going to build the temple... And uh, it, sh- it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor. 
uh, hearkening back to this uh, glory of the Lord that, that dwells in the temple. Uh, go, that goes all the way back to the end of Exodus, the glory of the Lord uh, falling on the tabernacle there. Um, he shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. Uh, so he, he's, he is the king. And then we read that um, uh, that uh, we see and there, or it could be translated he. Notice the, the footnote in the ESV. Um, uh, if you have the ESV, so this is verse 13 uh, in the middle of the verse, and it says, and there shall be a priest on his throne. If you look down at the footnote, it says, or, or it could be translated he. And he shall be the priest on his throne. So this is the the tension that exists in the text. Is how how do we make sense of this? Because all it says is is um, when this is happening, there there will be a priest on the throne as well. So how how do we make sense of this? How will this king also be a priest? Um, and. Uh, God is going to raise up a king, not only a king, he's going to raise, raise up a priest as well. How is this possible? How can the Davidic king also be a priest mm-hmm. if he's not from the tribe of Levi? So, And this will be a theme all throughout the kind of the remainder of Zechariah and Malachi as well, is we have these two covenants. How are they going to work together? And uh, there's a lot of theories that existed throughout history and in, the, in this um, Jewish uh, uh people in the uh, the Qumran community that where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls, they, they thought of, well, there, there must be two messiahs. There, there's a messiah from the line of David. There's a messiah from the line of, of Levi. But this is where that uh, priest after the order of Melchizedek language comes into play. Psalm 110. So, so Psalm 110, Hebrews picks up on that. Uh, Genesis 14, where we have that, the figure of Melchizedek shows up. Um, and so we have this this picture then, this, this pointing forward to this Messiah figure who will be both king and priest uh, from the line of David, from the, the line of Melchizedek, uh, who, um, who will have this council of, uh, council of peace. And uh, this is how um, uh, one commentator put it. Uh, this is why the council of peace or the council of well-being or this agreement will be between the king and the priest. It is not because two different individuals will be in agreement. The agreement will exist because the two offices will be held by one messianic king slash priest. It's, it's one person that we already see figured here in, in uh, Zechariah. And so the, the great tapestry of this whole book so far, and, and really putting into to focus into these kind of apocalyptic pictures, but, but everything that we've seen so far in the Book of the Twelve is now being given some... Uh, some meat on the bones, as it were, uh, all pointing ahead to this this Messiah figure, who is the one, um, Hosea 3, verses 4 and 5, when the people return from exile and they seek the Lord and they seek David their king. This is the this is the David king that they're going to be seeking, who's also the priest, who's, who's also going to be removing the iniquity uh, from from the people. And uh, let me let me just finish um, this section off as we close here. Notice in verse fifteen, um, those who are far off. So, what is that in reference to? Is it the church? 
Yeah. Well, it's uh, in Acts chapter 2, uh, in Peter's sermon on Pentecost, he makes that connection, the promises for you and for your children and all who are far off. And this is the picture that we've seen throughout the book of the Twelve, beginning in Amos uh, chapter 9, yes. where God's going to raise up the booth or the tribe of David, and that remnant is going to possess Edom. Mm-hmm. Remember, Edom showed up there, Edom as a symbol of mankind. And that's how James interprets it in Acts 15. Um, or is it Acts 7? No, yeah, Acts 15. And, and so, um, so we see here again, all who are far off, all the nations are going to benefit from this messianic king. He's going to be a he's going to be a priest king, not just for uh, Israel and uh, Judah and Jerusalem, but all the nations who are far off. They will come, and what are they going to do? They're going to come and they're going to help build the church. They're going to come and help build the temple, and we we talked about that. Um, Peter in his his letter as uh, we're we're living stones and Paul talks about it that we're being built up into the temple of the Lord and um, and so this happens through this and this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God and so that's what we're called to do we're called to obey the voice of the Lord we're called to build the temple of the Lord which is the church and we do that through obedience to his word uh, not because uh, that is what merits us salvation, but we do that out of what God has done for us in Christ, and we rest in his accomplished work, and then out of that, we live lives of gratitude that are holy and pleasing to him. All right, we made it through the first half of Zechariah, so uh, I hope uh, we can keep talking about it as we go along. We'll pick up where we left off and try to finish Zechariah if we can uh, next week, but thank you guys so, so much for your attention and all your questions. And uh, we'll see you back here next week. Thanks.